You're listening to CSN International, your home for the latest praise and worship music and solid Bible teaching. In just a moment, we're going to join a study from the River Christian Fellowship, the home of CSN. But first, I'd like to invite you to come out and join us in person. We're located in Twin Falls, Idaho, and have our Sunday morning service at 10 a.m. Mountain Time and Sunday and Wednesday evening services at 7 p.m. Mountain Time. Visit theriverchristianfellowship.com and click on the map for directions or to schedule a visit. We're glad you're tuned in and hope you enjoy today's verse-by-verse study recorded live during one of our Wednesday or Sunday services. Now let's join the teaching already underway. You know, like Joe pointed out, the title, Condemnation and Hypocrisy, because it's a, it's a pretty harsh word, and that's one of the things, when you, when you go to a church that teaches through books of the Bible, we can't skip over stuff like this. I mean, we have to preach on it. We can't just talk about the warm, fuzzy stuff. We've got to uh, do these harsh words from time to time. And so I don't you know, relish this opportunity. It's uh, been bugging me like all day, but hopefully I get it out, and then, then I don't got to keep it in anymore. Because this is an important issue, hypocrisy, um, because you can, there's tons of studies out there. If you want to look up why do people object to Christianity, always in the top five is Christians are hypocrites. And that's always one of the main objections to why people don't want to be Christians. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, they're right that Christians are hypocrites, although Christians do not have a monopoly on hypocrisy. And everyone's a hypocrite in some way or another. But there is a lot of hypocrisy amongst Christians. And I would say this before we get into this, that you know, a genuine, uh, Jesus-following, spirit-indwelt Christian is never trying to be a hypocrite. I don't, I don't think it, it's like that. I think um, we honestly you know, try to do our best to serve Jesus and maybe forget about some things or go off on the wrong tracks in some way, or maybe we're blind to our own sins a lot of times. And uh, so keep that in mind as we're talking about hypocrisy. Um, like I said, there's a lot of studies on like, why do people object to Christianity. And there's also a study on uh, the hypocrisy in Christianity, Christian hypocrisy. I've brought this up before, but, but it bears repeating. I think it's a very uh, eye-opening study on this. The, the Barna Group does a lot of Christian research. It's amazing. If you want to go to the website, there's a ton of information there. And what they did was try to quantify this. Are Christians really hypocrites? Do Christians follow what Jesus said, or are they more like Pharisees? You know, self-righteous, finger-pointing, judgmental people. And so to, to try to quantify this, they asked thousands of people who said they were Christians, and gave them a, it was 20, a list of 20 statements, and they had to rank themselves how much they agree or disagree with that statement. And then they'll put them in a map, and see you know, where they fall in the uh, Jesus side of things or the Pharisee side of things. So here's what, what they ask people. They, they ask first five statements of actions like Jesus, which were, I listened to others to learn their story before telling them about my faith. In recent years, I've influenced multiple people to consider following Christ. I regularly choose to have meals with people with very different faith or morals from me. I try to discover the needs of non-Christians rather than waiting for them to come to me. I am personally spending time with non-believers to help them follow Jesus. And those are actions like Jesus. And then they ranked one to four how much they did that. And there's also attitudes like Jesus. 
I see God-given value in every person, regardless of their past or present condition. I believe God is for everyone. I see God working in people's lives, even when they are not following Him. It is more important to help people know God is for them than to make sure they know they are sinners. I feel compassion for people who are not following God and doing immoral things. So those are the attitudes like Jesus. Then they also asked or gave these statements of self-righteous actions. And again, same thing, rank yourselves on those. So these are self-righteous or pharisaical actions. I tell others the most important thing in my life is following God's rules. I don't talk about my sins or struggles. That's between me and God. I try to avoid spending time with people who are openly gay or lesbian. I like to point out those who do not have the right theology or doctrine. I prefer to serve people who attend my church rather than those outside the church. And then self-righteous attitudes. I find it hard to be friends with people who seem to constantly do the wrong things. It's not my responsibility to help people who won't help themselves. I feel grateful to be a Christian when I see other people's failures and flaws. I believe we should stand against those who are opposed to Christian values and people who follow God's rules are better than those who do not. And so after responding to those 20 statements, they looked at you know, how they ranked themselves and put them on sort of a grid, a, a four, a quadrant, like you remember from a junior high math class, right? The X and Y axis. And you had uh, four categories, Christ-like in actions and attitudes, Christ-like in actions but not attitudes, Christ-like in attitudes but not actions, and Christ-like in neither actions nor attitudes. When they put all the people in the quadrant, the results is the uh, mind-blowing part. 51% of Christians who did this study were in the neither, Christ-like in neither actions or attitude. And that's half in one quadrant. And there should be you know, one-fourth statistically, and that indicates a problem. The smallest group was Christ-like in actions and attitude. And that was like under 10% of people. And that is, I think, a, a pretty good study to validate. There is a lot of hypocrisy, a lot of self-righteousness that we need to look at and deal with. Uh, because, as we'll see today, it says in uh, Romans 2.24 that the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. And you hear this a lot. People speak, blaspheme God. They speak bad about God and they say it's because of Christians. I don't have a problem with Jesus but it's Christians. So then they blaspheme God. And what Paul talks about right here is the same thing that's happening today. Non-believers blaspheming the name of God because of the actions of Christians and the uh, hypocrisy. And so this is, this is a failure. Jesus uh, tells his disciples in John 17, verse 4, that he came to this earth to bring glory to the Father. And he says this, I, being Jesus, have glorified you, the Father, on the earth. I finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. So Jesus' whole point on coming to the earth was to glorify his Father. And then he says, as Christians, our purpose is to glorify the Father as well, through Jesus. And when Gentiles or non-believers blaspheme the name of God because of us, we're failing in our mission as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And so, because Christians are hypocrites, we need to focus our attentions on Jesus. It doesn't really matter, and we'll look into this in more detail later, that Christians are hypocrites. The question is, is Jesus a hypocrite? Does Jesus not do what he says? Um, so first, today, I'm going to read the text 
go through it a little quickly and then sort of look at this idea of hypocrisy, kind of uh, blow it up a little bit. So we're in Romans chapter 2, starting at verse 17. And, and here's the context. You can almost think of Romans as an essay on salvation. And an essay, a traditional essay, starts with an introduction, which ends with a thesis statement. That's the sentence you're proving in your whole essay. And this thesis statement is right there, the just shall live by faith. So this whole letter is to prove that sentence. So the first thing he does after giving his introduction is to prove that sentence, the just shall live by faith. He tears down anyone's uh, perceptions that they might have works to stand on. So Paul feels through the Holy Spirit, his first job is to prove no one has works to stand on. It has to be by faith. And so that's why he's tearing us all down. If you've been here the last couple of weeks, two weeks ago was about your typical, you know, the way we usually think of sins as, you know, sexual immorality and so forth. Last week it was about self-righteousness. And so there's always, he's shining the spotlight on different groups of people who might be saying, oh, my works are good. I'm not as sinful as those other people. So now he's pointing the spotlight on hypocrisy. If, if he didn't get you with the regular sin, and if he didn't get you with the self-righteous sin, he's going to try to get you with hypocrisy. And to me, it's a very convincing argument because I've been convicted in all three. And so that's what he's doing right here. He's showing everybody that they have no works to stand on. It has to be by faith because of these types of things. So uh, verse 17 through 20, what he writes about here is hypocrisy, and hypocrisy starts with pride. It says, Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God, and know his will, and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. And so their hypocrisy is starting with pride, because he's writing to, he's talking about Jews here who were God's chosen people. And they felt, you know, they had it figured out better than other people. They were able to tell people how to live their lives because they got it right from God. And if you're not seeing the parallels of Christianity, I mean, you need to look just a little harder. Uh, Next he goes on in verses 21 through 24 that we think we can tell others how to live, but we do the same things that we condemn. Like we talked about last week, it's just different manifestations of the same sin. Uh, And so he says... You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. And so he's talking about the Jewish people thinking they can tell other people what to do, but they're committing the same sins. That's you know, the definition of hypocrisy. Uh, and we'll come back to that in a minute, but again, we're just going to go quickly through here for now. So then the third thing, hypocrisy starts with pride, and then it's telling people to do things that you yourself are not doing. And then thirdly, it relies on appearances. Hypocrisy is all about appearances. What do you look like on the outside? So in verses, uh, verse 25 to the end of the chapter, Paul writes, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? 
And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And we'll again come back to this in a little bit, but he's talking about uh, the, the Jews were self-righteously and hypocritically relying in their circumcision as an outward thing because God had told his people on you know the eighth day every male you have to get him circumcised and that's an outward sign of the covenant that I've made with you and the point of it was that that was supposed to show an inward spiritual reality not just be an outward sign but by this point it become just an outward thing that oh you know we're, we're following the rules so now we're good to go because According to outward appearances, everything looks good. But he says, he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. So the point is it's supposed to picture the cutting away of the flesh and uh, being inwardly aligned with God, but that's not what was happening here. It was just about keeping up appearances and looking the part, which is hypocrisy. So here's his condemnation on hypocrisy to tell people, hey, you know, if you don't feel like you're a regular you know, garden variety sinner, if you don't feel self-righteous, you're probably, or you are, a hypocrite. And so now we're going to take this text and blow it up a little bit and talk about hypocrisy. And what is hypocrisy? Uh, how are Christians hypocritical? And then why does it matter? And then hopefully an answer to that. Spoiler alert, it has something to do with Jesus, as usual. Uh, so first, what is hypocrisy? The word itself is interesting because it's from a Greek word that means actor. So when Jesus is calling people hypocrites, which he does a lot, Jesus didn't just say nice things, he also called people hypocrites. The word means an actor. And that's what hypocrisy is. It's playing a part. It's looking like you're somebody that you're not. And like I said at the beginning, I don't think a lot of times it's intentional, uh, but sometimes that's how it comes off. We're playing the part, or at least... That's the perception from non-believers, uh, which is important, because like it says here, the name of the God is blasphemed because of us. And Jesus illustrates a hypocrite, and I think it's very helpful to see his picture. It's in Matthew 23, verses 27 and 28. And we'll read this later. Jesus is just you know, railing the, the Pharisees about how they're hypocrites. And he says here, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. And so here's Jesus bringing heat to the hypocrites. And he calls them whitewashed tombs. And so he's, he's given this picture that the Pharisees, the self-righteous religious guys, are a tomb. It looks whitewashed tomb. It's beautiful on the outside. It's clean, it's decorated, uh, it looks very nice. But what's the inside? The inside is filled with dead bodies, with uncleanness and filth. And he says that's what the self-righteous hypocrites are like. On the outside, it looks like it's all put together, and the inside is dead. And that's what Jesus calls hypocrites, and that's a good way to think of hypocrisy. It's, it's all about what's on the outside, and then what's on the inside tries to stay hidden. So how are you a whitewashed tomb? And what are you making sure looks really good on the outside, but you're kind of hiding on the inside, hiding 
that death and uncleanness on the inside because on the outside it looks like you got everything all put together. And we need to remember Jesus' greatest enemies weren't the prostitutes and the drunks. It was the self-righteous Pharisees, the hypocrites, that he had the harshest things to say. We talked about this last week. And so this is, as Christians, a huge thing. We have to look, how are we acting? How are we being whitewashed tombs? and remembering that that's, you know, Jesus, again, that was his main, all his harsh words were to people like that. So that's what is hypocrisy. Secondly, how are Christians hypocrites? Hey, you know, we, don't, we have, what, like 40 minutes, 45 minutes, so, I mean, this could go on a long time. So we're going to stick mostly to the text here, because there's a lot of ways we could look at it. But Paul brings out a few ways that, that people are hypocrites, or Christians will at that time Jews, but now we can apply this to Christians as being hypocrites. So uh, in verse 21 of chapter 2, Paul gives kind of a general statement. You therefore who teach another, do you not teach yourself? And he's just saying in general, if we're teaching people how, how to live their lives, are we taking in the same teaching? And that's as a Bible teacher, you know, that's, like I said, today I've been in a terrible mood because I'm looking at myself all the time and and these things, and we need to teach ourselves as well. So that's his general statement. But then he goes on to some specifics. So first specific is the second half of that verse. You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? If we're telling people not to steal, are you stealing? And he's, the bigger picture here is hypocrisy about money. And this is a huge thing, especially, again, non-believers blaspheme the name of God because of us, because they see Christians being hypocrites about money and our possessions and our wealth. And so I need to disclose here, I'm a volunteer at this church. I don't get anything here. So I'm not talking about this so I can get more money. It's like Paul says, it's for the righteousness to be added to your account. It's not for mine because if you can't give freely, then money is probably an idol of yours if you're not able to, to give that up. And I've seen the numbers about this church in particular, and let's be honest, it's not good. The giving here is not good. There's a lack of generosity monetarily. Uh, and as Christians, we say to store up treasures in heaven, hey, but does our bank account back that up? Uh, and this is a, a thing, like I said, the Gentiles blasting the name of God because of this, because they see, oh, Christians talk about not needing money, but does our lifestyle look any different? Does our bank account look any different? And that's hypocrisy. And there's only, Jesus talked about money more than anything else he talked about except one thing. Jesus talked about the kingdom of God as his number one topic. His number two topic was money. So this is important as Christians to not be hypocrites with our money. Jesus told 39 parables. 11 of those parables had something to do with money. I think it's in the Gospel of Luke, one out of every seven verses has something to do with money. This is a big thing. Um, but at the same time, we're kind of sometimes afraid to talk about money because of the idolatry we have of money. It's hard to give it away, and uh, it offends people. I mean, even right now, maybe some of you maybe are getting offended, maybe getting uncomfortable, and maybe some people on the radio are flipping the dial, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, people don't like talking about this because it's an idol, but Jesus talks about it. Again, it's his number two topic, and that's the reason why, because it's such a big idol. And we have a lot of 
reasons why we don't give generously, but Jesus never gives us those excuses. He commands the one who had no money, she's putting in her two coins, and that's all she has. And he doesn't say, oh, you don't got to do that, you didn't have any money. He says, this is the one who's giving generously, and giving out of your wealth is not sacrificial. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't, it, it can mean a lot, but maybe not. If your heart feels good about it, I guess that's one thing. But I think we see a lot of times the collection basket like it's a, like it's a beggar, begging for your spare change. I go, I got, a, I got a 20 spot in my wallet, so I'll put it in. That's not really generosity. Uh, that's not sacrificial generosity. That's saying, hey, here's something extra I have, so I'll throw it in. Yeah, but a church does not live on a random 20 spot thrown in the collection plate. And it needs to be intentional giving. It needs to be generous. And if you're calling yourself a Christian, and this is something Jesus commands over and over, uh, is to not be idolatrous of money. And some people say, a lot of people say, I would give if I had more money. Uh, not statistically. Statistically, the most generous group of people are those without a lot of money, percentage-wise. Hey, statistically, the more money you have, the lower percentage you give. And so I don't, I don't know if it's about that. That can be, you know, there's a lot of lies we tell ourselves to keep up our idols, and that could be one of those lies. And if you're doing with a good conscience, if you feel like you're sacrificially giving, you know, that's one thing. But if, if it's holding back because you value money, you can't give it, you can't trust God with it, then uh, and that will be idolatry. And it's not just individuals, but it's churches. And I think this is where more non-believers, again, blaspheme the name of God because of us. Because in churches, again, these are just statistically, the vast majority of money that churches give goes to building things, salaries, and very little of it leaves the church walls. And non-Christians see this as hypocritical. Because we're talking about being able to give away your money, but then we don't. And so these, uh, part, I mean, obviously part of the problem is if people gave more, then churches could give more. But it still, it doesn't change the problem or the perception that non-Christians have, which causes them to not want to turn to Jesus. Uh, and we'll talk more about that later also. Also, statistically, the average adult giver is $17 a week. Uh, so what, what are you giving to more than God's kingdom? Yeah, there's bills to pay. No, there's all these other things. But what are you giving to more than you're giving to God's kingdom? And that, again, revealing some idolatry, some of the, the things we actually value more than uh, God and responding to his generosity uh, I heard one time I was on I was on the YouTube's, and I heard a pastor preaching a sermon. This really it really cut me down to size. I'm not going to repeat it because it was vulgar. And he said uh, he's preaching a sermon to a church, and he said something like this. I don't have the quote. I don't even remember who it is, but it hit me. He said, uh, "Today, 18,000 children are going to die because they don't have food, and most of you don't give a bleep." And then he says, and what's worse is most of you are more concerned with my language than the 18,000 people were going to die. I was like, whew, yeah, I don't have the gumption to actually say that. He actually said the word. But to me, that really showed me, hey, where is my heart? I was more shocked that he said that than that 18,000 people were going to die because of hunger. And uh, 
I don't know, just something to think about. Again, it cut me down to size to, to hear something like that. And so that's money. Hey, there's a lot of hypocrisy with money, and God, God calls us to be generous. And secondly, so we talked about one great thing, people like talking about money. Secondly, hypocrisy about sex, another thing people enjoy. So let's get into that. He says in uh, verse 22, You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? So this is a big one. Um, This is a study just came out, I mentioned it last week, I think, that they only talk to self-proclaimed born-again Christians, not just the Christians who say they're Christians but don't live it, but the ones who say they're Jesus-following. The statistic was, uh, it was half of men, they only looked at the men, have looked at porn at least once a month, one-third have committed adultery of that same group. And so this is a huge, again, another huge thing. And it's not a secret that adultery kind of runs rampant through the church. And part of the reason is because the media likes to tell people about it when it comes out. But it's still a big issue about adultery. And if we're preaching about adultery, ask, do you commit adultery? But I would say, you know, we're, we're Christians here. We're not setting out to go bar hopping and find, you know, someone to sleep around with. I don't think anyone sets out with the intention to commit adultery. Hey, but that's not where adultery starts. Adultery starts way before it ever gets physical. Hey, adultery starts emotionally, hey, with emotional adultery and an emotional affair. We, as Christians, sometimes we set our, our line way too far and our boundary is way too low and we're not concerned until it's way too late because our line is so far out there and our boundaries are so low that we don't even see it before it comes. So emotional adultery is huge to understand as Christians to live according to what Jesus says. Now statistically, lots of statistics here because that gives me an out. Like if you're offended, hey, I'm just saying the statistics. Statistically, by far the biggest person someone commits adultery with is a work partner. And that's far and away the number one thing. So your boundaries got to be high right there already. Hey, anyone with work, because you're spending so much time together, you're working together. Hey, that's, uh, again, by far, but it's also, you know, neighbors or whatever, maybe even church members, but by far, it's uh, people at work. And again, adultery doesn't start physically, it starts emotionally. And where that starts, typically, is complaining to someone about your spouse who could become your spouse. And that says, whoosh, boundary problem. And you don't talk to your spouse about anyone who could become your spouse, meaning a member of the opposite sex who's not a family member. And even then, you've got to be careful about who you're talking to your spouse to. That's, that's a privileged thing. And so as soon as you start talking negative things about your spouse to someone of the opposite sex, you're already looking into trouble. Now, the response could be, hey, whoa, don't talk to me about stuff like that. Talk to your wife. Talk to your husband. But a lot of times, here's where it starts. Yeah, the bait's already there, and it's uh, now that person wants to be your hero, kind of. They want to be your shoulder to cry on and say, yeah, you know, the, your, your spouse really is treating you poorly. You know, that's not fair. And then, again, it's already started. And that's why our boundaries need to be so high to not even get to that point. Because when you're at that point, it just gets worse and worse. Then you start to demonize your spouse. You start to... It's, it's very interesting. Psychologically, I've researched this. Um, your body feels so much guilt about committing adultery, even a non-Christian, which again shows God is real because even non-Christians 
feel extreme amounts of guilt for committing adultery. But what happens psychologically is your brain does anything it can, or we could say your flesh, as Christians, does anything it can to justify it, to say that it's okay. And so what you do is you demonize your spouse. You find everything that's wrong about them. And you look at those things rather than the things that make you happy about them. Because then that makes you feel better about justifying pursuing this extramarital relationship rather than investing into your spouse and into your family you already have. So it's this whole game of trying to be, to alleviate the guilt that you should be feeling. But the thing is, once you're at that point, you probably don't feel any guilt because you've already justified going this far. You see, so it's physical adultery starts way before it's ever physical. And so additionally, and not only do you demonize your spouse, you withdraw because you're trying to hide it. You don't want anyone to point it out. So you withdraw from people. And again, it's all about not feeling any sort of guilt, but to continue pursuing what you want to pursue. And that turning to somebody else for emotional support is severing the emotional intimacy that should be between you and your spouse. Again, adultery is not just a physical thing. Emotionally, what happens when you do that is you, you, you break that vow, you sever that relationship that should be an intimacy you and your spouse share. Uh, so again, if someone complains to you about their spouse and you could become their spouse, you need to put an end to it. You need to say, no, I'm not engaging in this. Because like I just showed you, it just, it's very easy to get sucked into that. Um, if you think you're committing emotional adultery, I would be bold and say you probably are. If you think your spouse is committing emotional adultery, they probably are. These things aren't just crazy hallucinations. But, again, part of the process of this is your spouse will make you think it is a crazy hallucination. You're just jealous. Hey, there's nothing going on here. And you see how, and that's called gaslighting. And you try to make them think they have the problem. And the culture kind of says that too. Oh, you're just jealous of it. Hey, but that's emotional adultery. So, how do you, that, how do you solve that? Or, I mean, again, it's really hard once you're already there. So the boundaries are super important. Because yeah, once you're already there, it's very hard. Because once you're at that point, it, it just needs to be cut off, the entire relationship. You know what that means? Quitting your job, moving your house if it's a neighbor. And this is serious business. It's only going to get further. Because when it's exposed, it just gets more secretive. It doesn't get solved. Uh, so it needs to be cut off. And it, uh, build your walls high. Yes, this is like in Song of Solomon. It talks about building your hedges high so you don't let in the little foxes to steal the grapes. Yeah, that's what it's talking about. And you need to, again, build up those walls high, not to be cold or unfriendly, but just know exactly what you can and cannot talk about with someone of the opposite gender and not to let those little foxes get in that are going to eat the grapes. That's the biblical picture of it. Oh, yes. Finally, last point on this. Uh, so then you, you have the choice. If it's at the point it needs to be cut off, your choice is are you going to choose Jesus and your spouse you vow to or are you going to choose the other relationship? Because the Bible says you cannot walk in darkness and say you walk in the light. And choosing that emotional, physical affair over Jesus is idolatry. It's saying, I know Jesus commanded this, but I don't care. You know, I'm going to go ahead with that. And that happens a lot of times in churches, a lot of times, like I said, in the workplace, 
statistically more than anything. And so, in order to not be hypocritical about adultery, we can't just say, oh, don't commit adultery, because, like I said, most people aren't, are going to be like, yeah, I'm not doing that. But it starts way before there. We've got to look at, you know, where is it starting? Where does it need to be cut off? Uh, third thing from the text, hypocritical money about sex, and now hypocritical, hypocritical about God. In uh, verse 22, the second half, in verse 23 it says, You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? And so he's talking about really uh, being hypocritical about what we say about God. And I, I connect this to the, what is it, the fourth commandment about uh, not taking the Lord's name in vain. I think it's fourth. And we think, you know, it's just we can't say GD or, you know, Jesus. We can't say things like that in vain. But that's not, really the meaning is, if we're calling ourselves Christians and dishonoring the name of Jesus, that's taking the Lord's name in vain. Because Christian Christ, I mean, that's part of his, his name or his title. And saying that we follow him, but then not doing the things he commands, that's taking his name in vain. That's being hypocritical about God. And some of the ways this comes up is, you know, we say that we do what the Bible says, but we don't. Or we, we say, you know, other, other churches, other denominations cherry-pick the Bible. They just pick the verses they like. But we do too. We can't just point the finger and you get, you know, those guys slamming on their Bibles and saying, hey, we do everything in here because it's the Word of God. No, nobody does. That's why we need Jesus. Because we can't follow exactly what it says. We cannot do exactly what it says. We can't be pointing the finger at people because we think we're doing it better than them. We all need Jesus to do this. So let's... I'm also going to connect this into Matthew because where Jesus talks about this same idea quite a bit. So if you would, uh, turn to Matthew 23. Matthew 23, starting in verse 13. In Matthew 23, verse 13. Again, this is Jesus just going on for verses and verses, yelling at the, hip, the Pharisees for being hypocrites. And uh, it, it's about the hypocrisy people have towards God, like I was just talking about. So starting in verse 13, Jesus says, But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. And so he, he's saying, you're hypocrites because you're telling everyone that they're going to hell because of their sins, but then you continue to sin. And it's not, you don't go to hell because of your sins. Well, in a way you do. You don't go to heaven not because of your sins, it's because of Jesus. And it's about following Jesus, and it's about He paid the price for our sins. In verse 14, He continues, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. And He's talking about being hypocritical by trying to pray fancy. Verse 15, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much as a, twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. You know, very harsh words from Jesus. And he's talking about people who will go you know, all around the world to tell people about Jesus, to make them Christians, but then we're satisfied when they're hypocrites like we are. He's saying not to go beyond that. Uh, let's skip down to verse 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! 
For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. And he's saying one basic thing here, and this is a good message for today. What he's talking about is getting so caught up in these little things that you neglect the big things. He's making fun of them because they tithe. They make sure they give a tenth of their spices, but they neglect love, mercy, justice. And we do the same thing. You know, when we're more concerned, none, none of these are bad things in themselves, but if that's where it stops, then it's where it becomes hypocritical. Like if all you care about is, oh, can't watch R-rated movies, can't listen to secular music, you need to vote Republican, you need to buy an inappropriate language filter for your TV, uh, you need, arguing about when Jesus is coming back, and what kind of songs the worship team plays. Again, none of these things are bad in themselves, but that you can't neglect the weightier matters, like uh, generosity, love, mercy, forgiveness, justice. Yeah, these are the things that Jesus wants more than our outward appearance. Again, it's not that those are bad, but that cannot be the end of it, or else you're on the same condemnation as these Pharisees. And so continuing, uh, verse 27, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are, like, you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, you also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the mountains, monuments of the righteous, and say, If we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. I mean, it goes on a little further, but you get the idea. And Jesus, very harsh about hypocrisy, about self-righteousness, about being outwardly, you know, looking like God together, but inwardly, there's all these, you know, idolatry of money, emotional affairs, taking the Lord's name in vain, all these things going on. So the result is in verse 24. I've brought it up a few times. For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, as it is written. And because non-Christians see Christians doing these things, they think God isn't powerful. They think the gospel isn't true. They think that Jesus can't change people because what they see is the hypocrisy. And it's not all our fault. I mean, that's what gets reported a lot. But they, that's still the image that non-believers have of Christians. Hey, that's the image I had of Christians before I was a Christian. It was all about... You know, those little things. You can't listen to this type of music. You can't watch this type of movie. That's what I thought it was. That's what I was seeing. But spiritually blind as well. I mean, there's a lot going on with that. And thirdly, last point, is uh, why does hypocrisy matter? It, it, it hurts two things. It hurts our families and it hurts non-Christians. So first of all, hypocrisy matters because it, it hurts our families. And I can tell you, especially with uh, teenagers... Because I teach high school, this is my seventh year, and so I've spent a lot of time with teenagers, and I know one thing they are super like keen to or cued in on is the hypocrisy in adults. Like they're very quick to point out, oh, that's hypocritical, because you know, that's and part of growing up and being caught between those two worlds, and they they very easily see that hypocrisy. So when you you know when we have kids who are teenage age, that's what they're going to be looking to do because they want to rebel. 
And they're going to say, oh, you know, my, my parents, they only act like Christians on Sunday, so what does it matter? They're, you know, they, they're hypocritical because that's what they're going to see. So it, it hurts our families to be hypocritical because what they need to see is that Jesus has real power in your life and he has real power and authority over sin and over generosity. And they need to see that it's real because if it, all it is is that facade, they see right through that and they say, oh, that's hypocritical. And that's why so many turn away from Christianity as soon as they leave the house. They say, oh, that didn't do anything for my parents. Hey, why, why should I even follow that? And so we can't you know, just plop our five-year-old in front of VeggieTales and then say, oh, they said they're a Christian, so good to go. I mean, the real test you know, is those teenage years when they start looking for hypocrisy. And so you need to be very aware, am I you know, putting on uh, an outward appearance? They let them see your struggles, let them see how Jesus works in your life. And, you know, I'm kind of a hypocrite speaking. I only have a two-year-old, so we'll see when my kids are teenagers. But, you know, that's, that's what I would say from working with teenagers for the past seven years. Um, also, it hurts non-Christians, hypocrisy. I and mean, like, like I've talked about, now, it's, it's so hard to become a Christian, to say, I'm going to lay down my life to Jesus, admit I'm a sinner, and accept his forgiveness. That's a huge step. And so... If someone's a non-Christian, they're going to find any way to not do that so they can continue doing their sin. That's what Jesus says, that those who walk in darkness don't want to come to the light because it's going to expose them. And so that's really what's behind it, but we give them an excuse to say, oh, those Christians are all hypocrites. And part of the problem is, you know, based on Christian testimony and lifestyle, it's difficult to see what difference the gospel makes when non-believers are looking on. It needs to be real, not just about outward, but about how Jesus transforms you. Finally, conclusion, solution. Like I told you, Jesus. Hey, Baha, let me, let's first look what's not a solution. In verses 25 through 28. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. And so the solution is not outward things. And we don't you know, talk about circumcision the same way Jews do, as being an outward sign of the covenant. But we have our things as, as Christians. Baptism. A lot of people think because they were sprinkled with water as a baby, you know, they're good to go. That their sins are forgiven even if they don't follow Jesus because of outward things. And your people think because I go to church, I'm good to go. Because I, I go to church, you know, once a week or whatever. No matter how many times a week, it's about Jesus not going to church. You go to church because of Jesus. Or I, you know, I went to youth group, so, you know, I'm covered. There's a lot of outward things we appeal to to say why our sins are forgiven, but our sins are forgiven when we turn to Jesus and lay our lives down to him. You can usually tell people in that situation because they say things like, you know, oh, I'm a Christian, I go to church. Or, you know, I know there's someone out there watching over me. And that might be an indicator, well, this person, it doesn't really have the Holy Spirit. Maybe they're focused on outward things and uh, fulfilling those obligations rather than saying, Hey, I'm a Christian because I know Jesus, because he saved me and I gave my sin to him. Yeah, that's, that's what it's about. Um, the solution, verse 29, 
He is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, and the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. And the solution is the spirits. Giving your life to Jesus, laying it down, saying you're going to follow him, even when it's hard, even if I don't want to give up my idolatry of money or sex or whatever, to, to lay down your life and receive the Holy Spirit and give your sins to him and say, I'm going to be obedient to you because of how much love and grace you've already given me. Not to gain it, but because I already have it. Uh, so let me just try to illustrate this concept real quick. Um, I had played, played baseball for a long time in my life from when I was a little kid, and I played all the way through high school. It's the only sport I, I kept at through all the way through high school. But when I was a senior in baseball season, I started to notice like I'm slowing down quite a bit. Like, believe it or not, I used to be fairly quick. I could steal a base. And uh, I wasn't able to throw as good or be as flexible. And I had a lot of pain in my back. And it's, that was senior year in high school. And so that continued to get worse and worse. And I was, for a couple of years, just had like extreme pain. I was taking, it was a crazy amount, like 20 ibuprofen a day to try to, to handle that. And I would go to the doctor and say, you know, hey, my, my back really hurts. I, I don't know what's going on. They'd say, oh, you're young. It'll take care of itself. You know, did you tweak it or whatever? And they would say that. So i go to doctors, chiropractors, a rheumatolo- rheumatologist, never any answer. So it been a few years, and then my mom calls me one day and says, hey, you know your back stuff? You might have this thing that your dad has called ankylosing spondylitis because it's genetic. And I go, thanks, Mom, for telling me that after a few years. Yeah. So I went to the doctor and suggested that. Hey, can you see if I have this? And they tested me, and they said, yeah, you do. And it's, if you're curious, the, the joints in the spine like calcify and become hardened so there's no flexibility and so forth. So I had to suggest to the doctor what my diagnosis was, and then they said, oh, yeah, that's it. You know, and he got his paycheck. Now, I, and I, I do not like going to doctors because of stuff like that. It's, they always say, oh, it'll get better, whatever. And I don't like going to the doctor. But if I get seriously sick or injured, where am I going to go? to the doctor. And uh, you go to the doctor not to be a patient, but to get help. You don't go to McDonald's to be a McDonald's customer. You go there to get a burger. So you don't become a Christian to be a Christian. You become a Christian to follow Jesus. And if you don't know Jesus and you're saying, I don't want to be a Christian because I don't like Christians, it's not like joining a club and you become a Christian just for the sake of being a Christian. It's about following Jesus. So by far, the more important question is not, are Christians hypocrites? Because yes, they are. It's, is Jesus a hypocrite? Did he ever say anything he didn't do? Did he ever put on appearances that were untrue? They look at Jesus because that's why we're Christians. We are not perfect. We don't claim to be perfect. We're forgiven because of Jesus. And so look to, look to him. Uh, Finally, I've said that a lot, but that means because I want you to, to listen. This is for real, the last thing. Hey, about hypocrisy. Uh, go to, please, Isaiah chapter 1. Okay, so to, to wrap this up about hypocrisy, and again, it's, it's about Jesus. That's everything we do as Christians is about Jesus. We'll read from the Old Testament. They've written hundreds of years, about 700 years before Jesus was born, before God the Son entered human history to become a human, to live a perfect life and die for our sins. Hundreds of years before that. 
uh, this is God through the prophet Isaiah talking to the Israelite nation. So I'll start in chapter 1, verse 10 of Isaiah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or lamb, of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. You're very condemning. Now, if you don't know the Old Testament really well, what God is talking about is these are things he commanded. He commanded the Israelites to make sacrifices, to celebrate these different festivals or these harvests. He commanded these things, but God is saying, I've had enough. You guys are hypocrites. I don't care about you following these rules because you're not doing it out of love for me. You're doing it to follow, to do outwardly things. And so this is, this is intense. It's the things God commanded, telling his people, just stop. You're not pleasing me with these things. Then he continues, verse 16 and 17. He gives some practical things to worry uh, more about. He says, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. And God is saying, here's what I want you to do. Before you're worried about filling, doing those commands, do these bigger things, these things that are not hypocritical, serving people, loving people, rebuking the oppressor, defending the fatherless. These are the things God wants. And then following his uh, commands are meaningful because it's done out of love. And then verse 18, we'll see, even though we are hypocrites, we're going to see what Jesus does with hypocrites. Verse 18, Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And let's just end right there. Father, uh, thank you for loving us, even though we are hypocrites, even though we don't do what you command, even though non-believers blaspheme your name because of us. God, you love us enough that you sent your Son to, to die for us, to pay for our sins, to love us, even when we're hypocrites. And Father, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit to work in our hearts to see where we're more worried about outside things than about inward things, to see where we're causing non-believers to stumble to come to you. And God, if there's anyone who doesn't know your son Jesus, I pray that you would work in their hearts to see it's not just Christians that are hypocrites. Everyone's a hypocrite. And Jesus died for us anyway. And he's the only one who is not a hypocrite because he always did what he said. His promises are always true. And let God be true and every man a liar. In your name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to a live teaching from the River Christian Fellowship, home of CSN. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you can catch the free podcast by searching the iTunes store for the River Christian Fellowship. Or give us a call at 800-357-4226. 
There's also a video of today's teaching available on our website, theriverchristianfellowship.com, and then click the media button. Don't forget to catch the evening service at 7 p.m. Mountain Time and tune in next week for more from the River Christian Fellowship live on CSN.